So I read a story about a dad named Robert Fulgham, and he was writing about his daughter, Molly, who was a first grader. And Molly had discovered that she enjoyed packing the day's lunches for her brothers and her dad. And so one day, uh, as dad was walking out the door, she gave him two lunches, his regular lunch, and then another one that was secured with duct tape, staples, and paper clips. In a hurry to get to work, the dad didn't ask for an explanation. That afternoon, while he was hurriedly eating his lunch, he tore open the well-secured bag Molly had given him, shook out the contents, and here's what came out. Ribbons, two hair ribbons, three small stones or rocks, a plastic dinosaur, a short pencil stub, a tiny seashell, and a handful of other kid toys, kid items. And he was kind of charmed, but then he realized he had a meeting he had to get to, so he was in in a hurry to get to the business the afternoon, so he, he sweeps everything into the trash can, his lunch and all of the stuff that Molly had given him, because he thought, there's nothing there I need, so he throws it in the trash can. Later when he gets home, Molly says, where's my bag? And dad says, what bag? She said, dad, the bag I gave you. And he said, well, I left it at work. Why? And she said, she said, those are the things, those are the things in the sack, daddy. The ones I really like, they're, they're my favorite things. And I thought you might like to play with them, but now I want them back. And dad said, oh, and then he said, "Uh uh-oh. Molly had given, this is what he says, Molly had given me her treasures, all that a seven-year-old held dear, love in a paper sack, and I had missed it. Not only missed it, but had thrown it in the trash can because there wasn't anything in there I needed. He says, it wasn't the first time I felt like my daddy permit was about to be pulled, and it won't be the last time. That night, he made the long trek back to the office, and he got there just ahead of the janitor, and he picked out all of the little things, now dotted with mustard and smelling like onions, and he very carefully put them back in the bag. He took them home. He gave them to to Molly, and um, no questions were asked and no explanations given. He says, to my surprise, Molly gave me the bag once again several days later. Same ratty bag, same stuff inside. I felt forgiven and trusted and loved. Over several months, the bag went with me from time to time. It was never clear why I did or did not get the bag on a given day. In time, though, Molly turned her attention to other things, found other treasures, lost interest in the game. Me? He says, I was literally left holding the bag. She gave it to me one morning, never asked for it back. So the worn paper bag is there in my box, left over from a time when a child said, Here, this is the best I've got. Take it, it's yours. Such as I have, I give to you. Now, I want you to realize that, that you have your paper bag, I have my paper bag. And, and what goes in our paper bag is what we really treasure. And I want to caution you today to be careful what you put in your bag. Because what, what we tend to put in there is stuff that, that, that fades away. Houses, cars, money, possessions, stuff. Jesus has a warning for us, and, and his warning is this. Be very careful what you put in your bag. This is on your listening guide, or if you, if you follow along on version, if you have the, the U version Bible, you can always go to um, live events, and you type in 75801, and, and ours will pop up. The, the title of the sermon will be on there. You can do it on there, and you can see the, the different scriptures there as well, or you can follow on your listening guide. But here's the thing. When, when I stand before Jesus and I want to, I'm going to offer him my bag symbolically, obviously I'm not going to take the bag, but when I stand before Jesus and I say, here's what I got, what I want to be in my bag is a significant amount of time spent nurturing the bride of Christ, which is the church. Jesus came to establish the church. It's his bride. 
So I want a lot of time in my bag that, that goes to the church. And I want a, a significant amount of the money that God has given me. I want to be in this bag. I want to pour it into the bride of Christ. Cause I tell you this all the time. If you want to make an impression on me, you be kind to my, my, my wife and my children. Um, I didn't know if I was going to make it through that song, but I practiced it enough and we were so nervous. I practiced it enough that I made it through the first time I sang it. I sat back there in my office and bawled my eyes out. Cause I was going, my baby's growing up. <clears throat> But if you want to you make an impression on me, be kind to my wife and my children. Be kind to my bride, and, and you and I will be friends. Be mean to my bride, and, and you'll get shot um, in the name of Jesus. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Man, lighten up. Now, here's what Jesus said specifically. Here's what he said in Matthew. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths and... and uh, where moths... I can't see it. Where moths eat them and rust destroys them. Where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. So Jesus is saying that that wherever, uh, whatever's in your bag, that's where your heart is going to be. That's what you treasure. And Jesus doesn't say this to make us feel bad. He's just given us a statement of fact that your feelings follow where your money goes that type of idea. And so the goal of everyone here who's a Christ follower ought to be to treasure the things that God treasures. And so somebody might say, what does God treasure? I'm glad you asked. If you go all the way back into the book of Genesis, when God was creating God, uh, and, and it's interesting because God says, let us create man in our image. Who's he talking to? God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. And so back when he's doing this creation, before he ever creates human beings, he creates all of this stuff. And every day of creation at the end, he says, it is good. But when he got finished with human beings, he said, it is very good to me. This points that we have a higher place in God's, um, heart than, than does. We are the ones that were created in his image. And so we have a, a, a special place in God's heart. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to rescue us from our sin. Now, um, we want to develop this same type of heart for people that Jesus had, especially the poor, the hungry, the helpless, the victims of injustice. It's part of the reason we started a, a single moms ministry here is because we know how difficult it is. So we want to reach out to single moms and, and just by the, uh, just for your information this week, someone donated a freezer to the church so that we could have uh, frozen food for single moms as well. So we got these boxes out here and, and we do boxes of food and in there's imperishable stuff. And we do uh, hamburger helper and we do dish soap. We do all kinds of stuff that we give away to to single moms, but now just on Friday, we got a freezer. So if you, you know, I give away a lot of the deer that I, I kill every year and, and give that to single moms. And if you want to do that, we have a place now to store it. And so we can give away meat to these single moms as well. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we want to do that here with single moms. We do that with folks who are struggling with hurts, habits, and hangups. That's why we started Celebrate Recovery. We have a men's ministry. We have women's ministry. We now are starting a brand new ministry, Shelter from the Storm, for those who are survivors of sexual abuse. We want to reach people here in Anderson County, but we don't want to do, just do that. A portion of the money that you give goes to the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention. What that does is it, it supports missionaries throughout the world. And a portion of what you give in the, in the baskets at the back when you give to the church goes to our Haiti missions and it goes to benevolence mission. We want to reach people here, but we want to reach people around the world. It's why we have Compassion Sunday every year. And we're going to keep doing Compassion Sunday every year until every child around the world who needs a sponsor has a sponsor. I heard it. I was trying to talk long enough that you'd silence it, but oh well. We won't look or anything. 
Um, so God wants my bag. He wants your bag to be filled with the things that matter to him. But there's something more you need to know. It's not just that we need to be careful what's, what's in our bag. It's because treasures can shape our heart. We're naturally shaped by greed and possessions. So we need a tangible practice that we do all the time over and over again that says, God says, money, you can't be my God today. Money, you're not on the throne. So every week when you write a check and you put it in the joy basket, that, that causes your heart to grow a little bit towards the kingdom of God. Every week when you give some of your time to build up the kingdom of God, your heart grows and the kingdom of God flourishes. And so we are constantly going to be challenging you. This whole fully devoted series, if you go back to the beginning, Joe talked about grace and growth. You cannot begin to grow spiritually until you're in the kingdom of God. So Addison gave us a, a testimony today that she's in the kingdom of God and we want to do everything we can to help her grow up. But we don't just want Addison to grow up. We want all Christ followers to become fully devoted followers of Christ. So you start with grace, and then you've got to be committed to spiritual growth. And then you need to get connected to a group because that's where, sm- that's where change really happens. I was talking to, to Michael and Danny this week, and we were talking about how far our small group came in the last nine months. From September when they met at my house, we outgrew my house, we started meeting here, till now, I feel like they're family. I know what's going on in their lives. They know what's going on in my my lives and, and it, my lives, I've got many, um, my life, it's, it's just incredible to see what God has done in a short nine month period of time. And Joe will tell you the same thing about his group and the Veretto group that meets over here in the house. They can tell you the same thing. God does stuff when you get connected to a group and life change happens most quickly in a group, not in a, not in a worship center like this. And then you got to discover your spiritual gift. So the choice is yours. You are as mature in Christ as you want to be. You are as close to Jesus as you choose to be. So don't blame the pastor. Don't blame the church. If you're not close to God, you need to look in the mirror, the mirror that, that physically you glance into, but also the mirror that's called God's word and let him reveal to you what's wrong with you. and What's wrong with your heart. If you used to be close and now you're far away, God didn't move. The church didn't move. You moved. And so this last thing we get to, this whole good stewardship thing we talked about last week and we're kind of continuing this week, if, if you're not managing what God has given you, God is not obligated to give you any more. He says you're on your own. But if you'll give him the first fruits, God will do some incredible things in your life. Now, when you have this tangible expression, you come back over and over and you say, I'm not going to be mastered by things. My treasure is not going to be in this world. My treasure is going to be in heaven. You can't, you can't take your treasure with you, so you might as well send it on ahead, right? So give to the church and God begins to redeem people and there'll be people in heaven, hopefully someday because of what you did. There'll be people that'll come up to you. You may not even know their names, but they know you and they say, I'm in the kingdom because you sponsored me. You, you took, I was that child in Ethiopia. I was that child in, in Haiti and you sponsored me and I heard about Jesus at a compassion center and I got all of the nutrition I needed and I got medicine that I needed and I was taught how to read and write and my family is in the kingdom of God because of you. I don't know about you, but that gets me fired up because I want people in the kingdom. So we're going to make... We're going we're gonna to do things that help us promote the kingdom of God because here's the deal. In our world, our world is opposite than, than the kingdom of God. In our world, they're preoccupied with your standard of living. The kingdom of God, God is preoccupied with your standard of giving. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your possessions. He wants what, he wants what it represents, which is your heart. In the end, here's, here's, here's good stewardship. In the end, will you come to God with whatever's in your sack and with childlike faith, would you say, God, this is the best I've got. Such as I have, I give to you. This is it, God. This is the best. That's being a good manager. That's, that's step five, as we're calling it in this, in this um, journey to, to 
fully devoted followers of Christ. Because see, that's exactly what Jesus did for you when he hung on the cross. He said, this is the best I've got. God's looking down. God says, this is the best I've got. He's my sinless son. And I'm going to send him as a substitute for your sins. And if you'll accept him, you can come into the kingdom of God. And and you probably noticed we've got the Lord's Supper up here. And I did that video, even though I showed that video back on Easter, I wanted to show it again today because we're going to talk about the cups in a minute. We're going to talk about the significance of the Lord's Supper. And I want you to understand, I just feel this burden when we do the Lord's Supper that you need to know what this cup and what this bread represents. You need to be in right fellowship with God and with other people before you come to the table. So we're going to talk about that for just a few minutes. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you love celebrating birthdays? Rachel, raise your hand. Thank you, Rachel. Um, How many of you like celebrating anniversaries? How many of you like going to high school reunions? Now, this is kind of tricky because some of you didn't like high school. My wife will never go. I loved mine. Janie's like, I I don't like those people. I'm not going back. They were mean to her. Anybody like to celebrate? We like to celebrate stuff, right? But have you ever noticed that, that animals and plants don't celebrate, right? See, I have this cat, well, Rachel's cat. This is the cat that won't die. All kinds of stuff has happened to Sylvester. He's 12 years old. He won't die. He's got an eye that's falling out. He's just, you know, he's, he's I'm telling you, he's going to be one of those that outlives us all probably. Um, but, you know, he's never gotten upset with me that I forgot his birthday. Never once has he come up and swatted me, you know, and done his, he's not, he doesn't do that. Sylvester just comes up and loves me regardless. See, now, now my best friend from back home where I grew up with in Borger, his birthday is 10 days before mine. And so now the last two years I've done this, but there was a span of about three or four years when I forgot to call him on my, on his birthday, God forbid that I should forget to tell a dude happy birthday. And so do you think he forgot my birth? Oh no, 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 no. He calls me on my birthday all of those years and tells me what a better friend he is than I am. And that makes me appreciate my cat because Sylvester doesn't give me a hard time when I forget his birthday. I love my cat or Rachel's cat. They all love me. My, my kids have animals and the animals follow me. I don't know what, what's going on. But I've also noticed that, you know, animals don't celebrate these things. They don't get upset about it. Neither do ha- houseplants. I, I've killed every houseplant I've ever owned. And because I don't know, I just don't pay attention. And so I don't have the green thumb. I, and, and my thing is, you know, if I'm trimming, if it's green, it goes down, it, it just cut, you know, so I kill everything. But, but I've noticed that the houseplants in the neighborhood, they don't come to my house and, and, and mourn over the death of this houseplant. They don't do that. I don't, I don't know why. Sometimes I wish humans were kind of like that. But anyway, <laughs> I think that this spirit that's in us that loves to be remembered that loves to celebrate things. I'm convinced it was put there by God. I think it's one of the things that God created in us when he said, let us make humans in our image. I think that, that, that desire to be celebrated is given to you from, from God. And see where I'm going with this is Jesus on the night before he was going to be arrested and crucified. He tells his disciples to remember him. He's gathered them together in a couple hours. He's going to be uh, crucified. He's going to be arrested, crucified, beaten, and all that stuff. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to rise from the dead three days later. But before all that, Jesus was celebrating the Passover and the Passover was a time of reflection. They were supposed to remember uh, a time, a huge event in the life of the Israelites when um, God delivered them from the Egyptians by sending the death angel on the to, to kill the firstborn of every family. The only, um, 
This was the last of the 10 plagues that God sent to convince Pharaoh to let the, the Israelites go from Egypt. The only families where the firstborn was not killed is the family who, who obeyed God and decided to take a substitute, the perfect lamb, the prize of the, the herd lamb, and sacrifice it, take some blood, put it on the doorpost. So that night, and, and, and you have to forgive me because I've watched the Ten Commandments way too many times with Charlton Heston, and it's not even biblically correct most of the time, but I've always remembered when I was a kid, I saw the little green death angel coming down. And I've, that's always what I've thought of as the death angel. And so the death angel would come down and, you know, people are screaming. And as a kid, I'm, I'm shaking, you know, seeing the death angel come. And, and I was glad that, that Joshua went and put all this stuff over. And I don't even know. But anyway, he, he put the blood on because the death angel would come up. And I would watch the death angel come to the door. And when he would see the blood, he would pass over that house. Pharaoh, we know that his firstborn died, and, and that was really the, what, what convinced Pharaoh that this God is something that is more powerful than, than this world has ever seen. So he lets the, the Israelites go. So God tells them over and over, and in fact, he, he commands the Israelites, remember the Passover forever. Now, during the Old Testament times, the Jewish priests traditionally sacrificed the Passover lamb at 3 p.m., and then shortly after that, they would offer um, the sacrifices, uh, the daily sacrifice and the Passover sacrifice at about 3.30. And, and these, were, these were done over and over so that the blood of the sacrifices might cover the sins of the nation. Because blood has to be spilled in order for sins to be forgiven. We're told this in the New Testament in Hebrews 9.22. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It was a reminder that someone, someone's blood had to be spilled. Either your blood had to be spilled for your sins or an innocent third party's blood had to be spilled for your sins. And it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out, I'd rather have a third party's blood spilled for my sins than my own blood, right? So that's what they were doing. They were celebrating this. And Jesus and his followers are, are celebrating this meal. And then Jesus does something that's rather remarkable. It's unique in the history of, of Israel. And he changes the meaning of this Passover meal. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. He's telling them all of this before he ever goes to the cross. Now, if you remember when Jesus, right before he started his public ministry, he comes out to John the Baptist, John the Baptist sees him and he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus now at the end of his ministry, he's about to become the Passover lamb. No longer would there be an animal sacrifice. Now there was going to be a human sacrifice. An innocent human, the only one who's ever lived, was going to become the Passover lamb. And, and this time, if you accepted what he did, you could live eternally based on the blood of an innocent third party dying for you. Now, notice God's timing. God, I tell people this all the time. God is a God of details. In Luke 23, look what it says. Now, Jesus is on the cross. And it says, by this time it was noon and darkness fell across the whole land until what time? Three o'clock. That's interesting to me. The light from the sun was God, gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. What time did he die? What time did the, the priest kill the Passover lamb? See, in the process of that, as soon as the Passover lamb was killed, they would blow the shofar, which is a ram's horn, and everyone in Jerusalem would hear the horn, and they would pause, and they would say, the lamb has died, so I don't have to. Jesus just redefines the Passover at this moment and he becomes 
he becomes the sacrifice. He said, we're starting a new tradition with my death. And he told his followers to eat the bread and drink the cup and, and remember him. And they had to be thinking, how could we forget Jesus? I mean, the dude walked on water. He raised people from the dead. He healed blind people. He healed leprous people. How could we forget him? But see, Jesus knew the disciples better than they knew themselves. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows that we have this natural tendency to get caught up in the things of the world and forget the significance of his death, burial, and resurrection. And so he instituted the Lord's Supper so that we would remember. We get so involved in things of this life that we forget and we become kind of these Christians that go through the motions, uh, cosmetic Christians or Christians in name only, the hypocrites that so many lost people don't want to be around. We become those people and we go through the motions. And Jesus says, remember me. He says, do it regularly. He didn't say to do it every day. He didn't say to do it every week. He just said, do it regularly. Whenever you do the Lord's Supper, remember me. And when you take the Lord's Supper, I I like to caution people because if you read uh, the whole background of this, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that, that some of them were sick and some of them died early deaths because they took the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. I'm going to talk to you just quickly about what that means. So I don't want you to come to the Lord's Supper table with a, with a sorry attitude. In fact, some of you should not come to the Lord's Supper table at all today because there is sin in your life. There's blatant disobedience in your life. And if you come to the Lord's Supper, you've been warned that you might, you might bring judgment on yourself. Now, having said that, there's, there's some of you that have tried to make things right with other people. You are, you are confessed up as confessed up as you can be, and you're going to be worried about coming to the Lord's Supper table. I tell people all the time, it's if you've confessed and you say to God, God, even show me my secret sin so I can confess this. If you have a problem with somebody in a relationship and you've gone to them and they won't make right with you, that's not on you. That's on them. Feel free to take the Lord's Supper. But when you do it, I want you to remember three things. There's three things we're supposed to reflect on. Number one is Jesus' death. We look back at the cross. Jesus called himself the bread of life. And so when you take the bread, I want you to think about the bread represents that Jesus, God's son, became a human being. We call it the incarnation, God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. So when you take the bread, you remember that Jesus was a real life human being, flesh and blood. He walked on the earth. He was tempted. He was tested. He had no sin. His body was broken for you. When he tore tore the bread at the Passover meal, he said, this is my body, not literally, it's, it's a representation of his body. This is, this is broken for you. It's symbolic. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians ten sixteen. When we ask the Lord's blessing upon our drinking from the cup of wine at the Lord's table, this means, doesn't it, that all who drink it are sharing together the blessing of Christ's blood. And when we break off pieces of bread from the loaf to eat it there, this shows that we are sharing together in the benefits of his body. That's from the, the living Bible translation. I did that because the word sharing there is where we get the idea or the word communion. It's, it's the idea that participating in the Lord's uh, Supper means that you have communion with God and with other believers. So we are sharing in the body and the blood of Christ symbolically. Um, the juice represents the blood, the, the, the bread represents his body. And so when you come to the table, you're supposed to remember Jesus was broken so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be cleansed, so that when I stand before God, it's not, no longer my account Because I'm going to tell you, if you try to stand before God and try to get into heaven based on what you've done or not done, you will go to hell. The only reason I get to get into heaven is because I'm coming on Jesus' ticket. When I stand before God and he looks in the Lamb's book of life, he'll find my name and Jesus will say, this one's one of ours. God knows that, but there's a process that you go through. Because in Revelation it says, anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. So Jesus writes in that book of life, you will stand before God at the end of your life. 
the Passover meal, I showed you this video, included four cups. And, and the one I want to focus on is the cup of redemption. The third cup was the cup of redemption. A redeemer is someone who bails you out of a hopeless situation. They do something for you that you cannot do. If you were in jail and somebody came and bailed you out and you didn't know them, that's what a redeemer is. Or if you're in slavery and you can't get out of slavery, a redeemer purchases you to set you free, not so that you can be a slave. So this point in the meal, Jesus picks up the third cup and he says something like this. Now, I know you don't understand this, but in the, in the Hebrew culture, this is what would happen. He picked up the cup, the cup of redemption, and he goes to the, he says to his disciples, will you marry me? Now he's not talking about physical marriage. Like we talk about, he's talking about a spiritual marriage in the Hebrew mind. What they would remember is when the husband, uh, before a wedding, the dad and the son would go over to meet the dad of the bride and the bride. They would negotiate a price. And when they'd finished negotiations, the son would go over to the bride and he would say, he would offer her a cup. It was the cup of redemption. And she knew that if she took that cup and drank from it, she was saying, I accept your offer of your life and I give you my life in return. That's what this cup is. So Jesus offers it to his disciples and he says, this is the cup of redemption. And when they knew when they took it, they were saying, we pledge our lives to you. All right, you with me? So it's the cup of redemption. And you are exchanging. When you take this cup, symbolically, you're saying you've already exchanged your life for the life of the savior. That's why I take in the Lord's Supper is such a big deal. When I proposed to Janie, she knew that when she took that ring, when she said yes, she knew that I was offering her my life. And when she said yes, she was offering me her life. And that's what's going on when, when the minister says this cup is the new covenant in my blood or in the blood of Jesus. Drink this to remember him. That's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, do you accept my offer? So when you drink the cup, you're saying, yes, I'm a follower of the king and, I'm gonna, and he's my Lord. Now, we, all, we should remember this fifth cup. That's why I wanted to show this video. The night before Jesus died, he said this to his father in Matthew 26, 39. He went on a little further and fell face down on the ground praying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will, not mine. Jesus knew the high price it was going to cost for him to buy your freedom from sin. And, and because he was fully human and fully God at the same time, he shrank back from that. But then he prays the most incredible prayer. It's the hardest prayer for us to learn to pray is not my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross and he died for us. So we're supposed to reflect on all of that when we come to the Lord's supper table. Second, we reflect on my life. Romans 12, one says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is the true worship that you should offer. The word offer is used twice in there. And again, that's the, that's a, uh, today's English version. I liked it because it says offer twice. True worship is I give God my life. I take his life in return. True worship is all about God. So when you come to a church service and you don't get anything out of it, maybe you missed God because the scripture says where two or three are gathered, he's going to show up in their midst. And people all the time said, oh, I enjoyed worship today. Well, worship has nothing to do with you. Oh, well, I got a lot out of worship today. I'm sorry, it doesn't have anything to do with you. Oh, worship was horrible today. Well, maybe it does have to do with you if worship was horrible. Because your heart wasn't ready to come meet Jesus. Because he's here. He's been, he's been strolling the aisles in the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have felt him today. Some of you, you got stuff in your life so you can't see him. You can't feel him. And you think, oh, God's not real. You begin to doubt God because you can't feel him. Man, if I doubted my wife's love when I didn't feel like being loved, I won't go into that. God is not going to force himself on you, but he's going to pursue you out of love. And when he has your attention, he offers you the cup. And he's wondering if you'll take that cup in return. 
And people think, oh man, this cup, if I, if I follow Jesus, that means I'm, I'm going to be a slave. No, the irony is drinking this cup is the only way to freedom. To become the person God created you to be, you have to accept what God offers and give him your life in return. So today, I just want you to do a spiritual inventory. I want you to think about where you are with Jesus Christ. Is there sin in your life? If there's sin in your life, you don't need to take the cup. If you're not willing to give up some sin in your life, you say, this is bigger than God, or I want to hold on to this more than God. You know, that sounds, sounds kind of harsh, but really, that's the truth. Some people would rather hold on to their sin than worship God. Some people would rather hold on to their sin than, than to follow God. And, and I got nothing for you today. But if you're ready to make the exchange, then you come to the Lord's Supper table. Um, did you know there's one time that the Bible says it's okay to leave church during worship? Jesus says this. He says, if you are at the altar and you're making an offering and there remember that someone has something against you, leave your gift. I love that. Leave your gift. Go make things right. Then you come back and you continue to worship. So some of you need to leave here today and go try to make things right with somebody else because there's something wrong in, in a relationship. And then the last thing, we reflect on Jesus' death, we reflect on our life, we reflect on his return. Um, look what 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're retelling the message of the Lord's death that he has died for you. Do this until he comes again. So the whole idea today is if you want to come to the Lord's Supper table, you need to have the right attitude and the right heart. And, and I can't judge that for you. Some of you are going to sit there and, and this happens every time. Some of you are going to sit there for quite a while and you're going to pray and you're going to confess. And, and some of you, I'm going to, you're going to, you're going to cry tears because you've been away from the Lord for a long time. Some of you, you're like, man, I'm ready to go. Let's, let's, let's drink that juice. Let's, let's eat that bread. And some of you are going to leave quietly because you know, you're not right with God. And you know, there's some relationships you need to try to make right before you ever come back. Now, because we're at the Lord's Supper table, I'm just going to mention the three baskets and then we're going to dismiss after a time of the Lord's Supper, all right? So the three baskets, and don't, don't do that. I don't think it's appropriate to make all our noises we normally make, but we have a joy basket at the back. That's how we give, or you can give online at nlccp.com. Second is our registration card basket. I want you to turn over your card and I want you to fill something. I always ask you to do that. I want you to write if you're in the kingdom of God or not, in or out, that's all you got to write. And I'll know what you mean. I'm the only one that sees it. But also then I want you to write on a scale of one to 10, what is your relationship with God? 10 is me and God are tight. Man, I'm having my daily devotion. He's speaking to me. It's cool. One is I couldn't hear him if he was sitting right next to me. I just want you to evaluate where you are before God. And I'm going to pray for you. And then if you have any prayer concerns, write those on the back or answered prayers. I love to hear those. Third basket is our bagel basket. Everything that goes in there is going to pay for our parking lot. Hopefully within a year, we're praying that within a year, we'll have a big concrete parking lot out here and a covered drop-off. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And then when you feel, we're going to start the Lord's, we got a, a whole set of Lord's Supper music, and it's just going to play quietly. And um, just going to ask you to, to when you feel, when you feel you're right before the Lord to come and take the Lord's Supper and then just go quietly back to your seat. This is a time that, that we need to inspect our lives and pray to God. Father, we just dedicate this time to you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.